And so for me, right, my household was always messy. Uh, there was always verbal and physical abuse, right? Uh, witnessing a lot of different things, foundations to losing our home. Um, and growing up just trying to find love in all the wrong places. Um, you see, just like you, I'm, I'm a normal person, but I was searching for something, right? And that's something I was searching for was love, it was mercy, and it was, it was grace. And those things wasn't given to me until uh, my sophomore year in bio class. Um, there was a spelling test in bio class. I don't know why there was a spelling test in bio class, but there was. Um, later on in college, the last semester, I found out that I had full-on dyslexia, so I couldn't spell worth anything. So I wrote all the spelling words on this giant eraser in class. Um, and so the test was going on. Mr. Dang said, I need to see you after class. I was like, oh, I'm busted. My giant eraser, so obvious. Like, you know, I'm caught, right? He says, hey, you're on, right? I'm like, yeah. He says, I noticed you were in like a WWJD band on your, on your, on your hand. I was like, yes, I am. Uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, wearing a WWJD band was something that everyone wore. Uh, I recently just became a Christian at that time, and uh, I saw NBA players wearing it. So, you know, they were selling it everywhere, right? 7-Eleven, the liquor store, Payless, whatever, right? Um, so I bought one. He said, are you, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. He says, do you have a church? And I said, no. He says, well, why don't you, I said, why don't you come to my church, check it out. I'll bring you to a smaller church in a big church, and, and you'll see what you like. And I said, Sure. Right? And so this whole time I thought I was going to get busted for uh, cheating on a test, which I, which I cheated on, and I got an A on, on the quiz, okay? But that was the first day that I chose to respond to my doubts with faith and trust for the first time in Jesus um, and what the Bible had to say about the gospel. You see, this wasn't the end of, like, after that moment my life became well and it was perfect. Because after my faith came in, I kept on doubting about my faith and who I was. And that always came back, always trying to tear me down what I was doing. So this morning, uh, we're talking about doubt and faith. So doubt versus faith. You see, the, the term doubt is that it's double-minded, meaning is that you can't choose either this one or this one. So you're constantly going back and forth between, should I go with this or this? And there's always these doubts, right? But faith, right, it's single-minded, means that you remain with that one choice that you make. And so today, we're still be talking about doubt. Doubt and faith. So maybe today, I'm speaking to you. Maybe you've been doubting for a while, a long while. And you sat there and said, I doubt, and you said nothing. You probably use a, I doubt the rain or the car, and something kind of like just frivolous and has no meaning, no merit to it. But deep inside, there's probably much more meaning to it. And some of you here probably shared a really intimate like, you know what, I doubt this. And you shared it, maybe your spouse, or if I remember, said, I never knew that next to you. Maybe I'm saying to you that have remained faithful for a long time. And you're like, I don't doubt. I know. I know. And if you're one of those people that remain faithful, you should seek out those who are doubters and conform them and help them out, right? In my opinion, right? Maybe I'm speaking to you that are going back and forth about doubt. Um, you're like, one day you, you have doubt, the next day you don't. And it's kind of like uh, this TV show called uh, The Stranger Things, right? It's called The Upside Down, right? This alternate dimension where you're kind of going back and forth of like, what are you, right? You know, for me, I'm in between. I go from doubt to faith, doubt to faith. And, you know, this morning uh, we're going to go into the Word and uh, we're going to seek out what, is, what, is, what does doubt even mean? 
how does it look like? So if you can, turn to me to Matthew 11. Um, if you have your Bibles with me, uh, some in the front. If you don't have a Bible, there is electronic online or borrow your neighbors. And Matthew 11 um, is the midpoint, I would say, of the gospel right now. So Matthew, uh, we're in Matthew right now, this series. And before Matthew right now, there is a whole bunch of healing. Jesus is now fully into his ministry, and he is healing. He is um, having people able to see, able to hear, able to even raise from the dead. And so it's, it's nuts. So after Matthew 11, he kind of doesn't stop healing. But what he does is that he actually feeds a lot of people. And there's a lot of parables, a lot, a lot of parables. But right here, almost as if Matthew takes a break and stops and talks about something that maybe that we don't even think about sometimes. It's about doubt. How's our faith kind of go high together? This chapter, uh, you know, admits that there are doubts between many about is Jesus the Messiah and is the word really true and is the Bible actually real? And what does it mean to our faith journey? So in here, Matthew does something that's really cool. Matthew shows four portraits of Jesus and ways that he intends to show Jesus his likeness, um, his personality, and also showing his mood. But with these different portraits of Jesus, right, there are also four doubts, types, that I'm going to share with you uh, that's been shown. You know, Jesus wanted to combat doubt with this, that he wanted to remind you that the way that you can combat doubt is that if you grow in your strength and trust only in Jesus. And that's the way that you'll definitely have opportunity um, to combat it. And so the first portrait of Jesus that... Um, I'm going to share with you is that Jesus as the, uh, the promised Messiah. So it turns me to Matthew 11. This is uh, 1 through 19. And it says this. After Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on there from there to teach and preach in towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else for? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Seven. As Jesus' disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. This part of Matthew is, uh, is amazing because this is um, the cornerstone of the entire chapter, what, Jesus, what, what Matthew is saying of what Jesus is speaking. John right now is in prison. He's probably been in prison now for about a year. And he's especially concerned if Jesus is the Messiah because when you're in tough situations and you're in dire straits of needs of just hunger and you're tired, and you're in shackles, you begin to doubt a lot. 
that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, John was a prophet, and he is the old school, Old Testament prophet, the last one, right? That, and the only one that actually sees Jesus. And more importantly, too, John actually baptizes Jesus. I don't, about, I don't know about you, I don't know how many times there's a baptism and God shows up, right? Through the clouds and says, this is, this is my son. John was there baptizing Jesus, and it says, that's pretty cool. Hey, hey, God, how you doing, you know? As a matter of fact, John right here, right, is a man of God that Jesus is saying, look, I am who I am. As a matter of fact, in this verse, Jesus is actually defending John. He says, look, John is not this prophet that's kind of swaying, right, like this, like this, this plant, right, which is, which is a, a reed, which is, a, which is found all over Jordan. And he's saying is that it's, you're not wishy-washy. That John is a firm person that I believe. And what Jesus is doing is he's defending John right now. He's defending John because he's saying, look, if you understand the message of what John was bringing, then you understand my message. But if you don't understand the message of John, then you won't understand me. See, John was more than just a prophet, right? He was a spokesperson for God that called the nations to repent the Lord was coming. He's preparing the way. But it's weird because here is John talking to Jesus like, are you really the one? Like, I baptize you. I, I, I think you are, but like, I need you to show me, right? And so Jesus and him are kind of having this interesting kind of quarrel, right? John is mad in prison because he believed that the Messiah was going to come. That the time was going to come and Set the captives free, what it says in Isaiah 6, 1, 61, 1. And yet, here's the Messiah on the outside, and John is in prison, not free. It was definitely an interesting dichotomy, what was happening right there in that conversation between John and Jesus. But Jesus says, look, John, you don't fully understand yet. I will show you soon. You will fully understand much later. I understand why you're upset. I don't know about you. If you're in prison, right, if you're in prison, right, trust me, you don't want to be there. You know, when I visited my father in prison, it was just so strange. Because when you're in prison, your emotions and your feelings and your doubts come up flowing out like no other. I would receive letters from my dad in prison. I was like, this guy is so soft, man. Like, he misses me. He's reminiscing about old stories that I never heard before. It's handwritten notes. I'm like, dang, Dad, you're like, I didn't even know you even write, you know? Like, this was amazing. When I would visit him in prison, like, we would just, I would stare at him through the glass, uh, uh, the plexiglass, and we'd just cry for no reason the entire time. And then when we, when, he, when we were there visiting him, he would share his doubts. He would share his concerns. And this is what John was doing with Jesus. He was sharing his doubts, his concerns for sure. Is this really the Messiah? We're going to the rest of it. Verse 11 says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophets of John, and if you were willing to accept it, 
He is Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in their marketplaces calling out to others. Play the pipe for you, and you did not dance. And we sang a dragon, and you did not come mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glen and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus here um, not only defends John, but calls John the greatest prophet that has ever lived, period. John was the reincarnate, whatever I believe, of Elijah. Elijah was telling people that there is a Messiah that is coming. One day, trust me, you will see it. John comes and says, I am paving the way for the Messiah to come. You will see it. You will wait. What's even more crazy is that, you see, right now, Jesus is going back to the book of Isaiah 35, 5, and 6, and 6 and 1. And he describes that the promise of Jesus is coming, that he is I. That he's the one that's going to be coming. You see, we live in a world right now that's, that, that's going to persecute you because of your faith. There's, there's no way around that. We have a chance right now that what Jesus is saying is, that, look, even though John is the greatest, the greatest prophet of life, he says, to those that are leaser, you're going to come even before John into the gates of heaven, the kingdom. I'm going to start a line right now. Because that means that invitation is to all of us here to go into heaven. Before John the Baptist, who is the greatest prophet from the word of Jesus. We get a chance to go before heaven, before all the amazing prophets, and John is one of them. He says, are you ready? Right now, at this moment, Jesus tells everyone, look, I am opening your eyes to see heaven and the kingdom i know you're doubting right now but here it is verse 11 right here verse 11 you're not coming verse 11 there you go this is truly i tell you among those who borrow women there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, Jesus is the promised Messiah. When we doubt that Jesus is the promised Messiah, um, this is where um, we, what I call um, this intellectual doubt. Intellectual doubt is um, something that we know uh, the reasoning and, and, and understanding what is supposed to be true. But are you actually going to really figure it out? Is this true or not? And sometimes intellectual doubt actually harms us, right? Because we know the answer to something, but we don't act upon it. So we have the tools to actually understand the gospel is real. If Jesus is the full Messiah, then are we actually going to act upon it, right? To actually see that's truth and not have intellectual doubt actually block us, right? The term smart, right? S-M-A-R-T, right? Some of us are really smart here. 
Some of us are SMRT. We think we're pretty smart, but we're missing something, right? Just a little bit, right? And simple as a letter, right? So what is it for you? You know, from our spoken word, I said, I doubt my faith. Is this you? Do you doubt your faith that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you doubt that there's a possibility that for you to overcome, right? That your faith, even though you doubt it, right? There's a people around you. Take a look around you right now. There's this church that's around you that can easily, easily give you a chance to overcome this doubt. Uh, recently, um, this season is going to, from fall to winter, and it's also the season where um, I'm meeting with a lot of people right now that are, like, in the season of love, too, which is even more interesting, right? Uh, people that are getting engaged, people that are about to get married, and there's people that are liking each other. So I would meet with these people, and they were like, hey, on, like, uh, by the way, uh, uh, can I talk to you about something? I think I like someone, right? And they kind of just stop. I'm like, you give me 10 minutes to talk with you. Like, how, how, how can we have a conversation about who you're liking right now, right? And so this conversation about liking is always interesting because it leads to this conversation about marriage and about Jesus and about faith. And so we have middle school students here, high school students here. Um, you know, this season for them to like one another and all that, it's very interesting, right? College is also a very interesting season for, for seeking and searching. Right? And also young, being a young adult, being in the work field, and, and so on and so on. And this is what I always tell couples all the time, if they're liking someone. Is the person that you're liking, do they know Jesus? Are they part of an established community, a private church? Do you see yourself marrying them? And the last, and the last kicker, right, I always tell them is like, do you actually like them, right? Do you, do you like them? Do, and then more importantly, do they like you, right? Because they got to like you. If they don't like you, it's kind of a one-way street, right? You're not going to go anywhere, right? Is Jesus the promised Messiah? Are there intellectual doubts that fence you from actually understanding and seeing that? I don't know. The next one. Jesus is the authoritative, authoritative judge. And let's go into um, verse 20 to 24. And it says this. It said, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Satan, they would have been repented a long ago, in cloth sack and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted? Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you, you had performed in Sodom, it would have been remained to this day. But I tell you that it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Jesus now goes full steam and he says, Look, are you ready to see me as a figure that is legit and authoritative? You see, Jesus has standards. And the hardest part about my faith when I go out there and I, and, and I minister and I love and care for people, um, 
ways that I defend Jesus is that Jesus has standards. And when their standards are involved and it involves the Bible, this is my standard of where Jesus stands. This is where my conversation begins with people. I think we're also in a time right now where we lack the truth, right? It's more feelings and emotions. But how often do we actually say, I hear you, I see you, let's have this conversation. But the truths are, from what I believe, is this. And here's Jesus saying is that, look, Jesus is warning us that there's going to be a doom to have. And do are we actually going to repent? These cities that Jesus was um, doing ministry to in um, Chorism and Bethsaida, these, these were cities that Jesus did the bulk of his healing. People hearing, people raised from the dead, people leprosy. A bulk of his ministry was here. And people in the cities would see Jesus healing. Like, that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Some would admire him. But yet the city would still not repent of the way of things that they were doing. And here's Jesus saying, look, if you're not going to repent, you're not going to come to the kingdom of heaven. He brings up other cities, Tyre and Sidon. That these cities were actually worshiping godless idols. Actually, God destroys these cities in Ezekiel 28. But he says, look, they will repent, right, with grief and sorrow, which is uh, sackcloth and ashes over their sin more than the cities. Are you going to stay awake? Are you actually going to open your eyes? I'm trying to heal you right now physically. Are you going to open your eyes to see that you need to repent? He tells these cities, you're not doing that. Jesus gives us this word. It says, woe to you. And the word woe to you is, I'm warning you. I'm warning you because I'm still going to give you a chance. I'm warning you because right now that I'm going to give you my standards because he's trying to show John the Baptist, look, that There is a time and a place where the resurrection and the cross is going to come, but John does not know that yet. The cities don't know that yet. It says, look, I will give you a chance. There is help. It is on the way. And when I think of a doubt that that talks about this, I think of this. It's an emotional doubt. Emotional doubt is that when you relate and you have an intense emotion about something, when it kind of comes out. Some of you here, you do great with your emotions, right? Maybe culturally, you're much more reserved, you don't show it. Some of you, it's like, you could be watching, like, the story of us five minutes into the, the show, and you start crying, right? Like, no other, right? Or, or people who've been watching the, the movie Coco, they're like, there must be onions in this movie theater. Or, like, I'm just like, I don't know why I'm crying. Like, emotions are not just tears, right? But it's how you respond. It's how you say it's your body language. It's what you write. It's what you text and tweet. Um, but having an emotional doubt, it does drain you. If you don't see Jesus as your authoritative figure, as a judge, and you doubt that emotionally, I know I do, it's hard to have someone that's telling me that, look, something's going to happen, it's going to be really, really bad if you don't do something about it. You know, I doubt people know that, from the spoken point, I doubt people know that I struggle with just living. And for some of you here, you probably know people that struggle with just life. And some people here, they're alive and well because someone's been there. For some people, you probably know that they're not here longer because they struggle with so much doubt, so much emotional stuff that they couldn't really get help. I'm going to call up a, um, 
someone here um, that, that, that works with a lot of people that have emotional doubt. Um, and what's amazing about this person is that um, they know Jesus, and they, they know Jesus as uh, this adorative figure in their life. And I'm going to call up Jane Kim. Can, can Jane, can we give a warm welcome for Jane to come up, please? Hey, Jane, how are you? You can have a seat right there. Um, if you're wondering why Jane has a tree and a prayer hands on there, um, we'll get into that, Jane. Um, Jane, how'd you... Um, oh, yeah, you do. Hey, Jane, how'd you uh, come to CLC? Well, I, my family's in Oregon, um, and I was at home in the summer and went to this wedding, and um, I had an old friend there who came here um, while they were on, like, an like internship for the summer. And yeah. so I got connected there, and here I am. So it's, uh, his name is Aaron, right? It's yep. a big Hawaiian guy. So every summer, if you see this big Hawaiian guy every summer, because he's interning at Livermore Labs. He's getting his PhD, um, which is crazy. And uh, he's been coming here, and he says, hey, on, I met this girl named Jane. I'll just come to our church. I'm not going to be here, but have fun, right? <laughs> Pretty much right. <laughs> so, Jane, so tell us a story about uh, a tree and prayer when you were growing up. So, so a little more background about this. You want me to tell that story? Yeah, just a fa- yeah, fast, fast okay. version. Um, so this was when, so I moved around quite a bit, but I was born in Oregon. So I grew up kind of like camping. My parents are um, really into camping and, you know, the Birkenstocks and the you know, long socks, <laughs> that whole bit. Um, and so we were camping, I was probably about five years old, um, and so I, my dad, you know, took us to the tent to, like, put me down for bed before everyone else, and so we, I was, like, supposed to be sleeping, and he was like, I'm just going to run to the bathroom really quick, and so he stepped out, and for some reason I, like, wanted to find him, um, so I, like, got up and was searching for him, and so I was, like, looking for a bathroom, which, in retrospect, he probably didn't go to, like, an actual bathroom. He was probably just somewhere, like, in a bush or something. <laughs> so, um, so, so how old are you at this time? I mean, I was probably five. Five? Yeah. Wow, okay. So then I just, like, start wandering in the woods and get super lost, and I remember... Um, in kindergarten, like, getting taught that you're supposed to stay, like, in one spot. And so I just remember thinking that. And so I, I stopped, like, by this big tree, and I, um, and I knelt down, and I prayed. And I re- remember, I grew up in the church, and I remember praying, like, God, help me find my parents, because I have nowhere, yeah. I don't know where I am. Um, and then I got up, and my, I was there with my church, camping with my church, um, and my kindergarten teacher from my school found me. Like, she was just walking, and she was like, Jane, is that you? And I was like, uh, Miss Catherine, is that you? <laughs> like, so bizarre. So then she helped me find my parents, and it was just, like, this really um, amazing moment that I can come back to, like, as a kid, um, and, yeah. It, I could definitely imagine grounding. a five-year-old in the forest the doubts and the different things going on and you praying, that's insane. So uh, hence the tree and the prayer that I have as her uh, contact on my phone. But um, Jane, what are you currently doing right now as, uh, as, your, as, your, as your career right now? 
Um, so I'm an unlicensed clinical psychologist, which basically means that I've gone through all my school and I have my degree and I'm working on licensure right now. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully after this year, we'll be a licensed clinical psychologist. Wow. So some of the, so where are you working right now and, and, and what are some of your, how did, yeah, so, so where are you working right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm working at the West Coast Children's Clinic. It's okay. in like the Fruitvale area, pretty close to here. Okay. And I, so my specialty is all children and adolescents. Mm -hmm. Last year I was working more inpatient, now I'm doing outpatient work okay. um, with children and adolescents. And this year trying to focus more on trauma work. So what are some emotional doubts of the clients, especially these children that you're working with? What, what are, you know, obviously we can't go into specifics, but what are some mm -hmm. of the things that they are they're going through as yeah. some of the doubts that they have that, yeah. that, that you're working with. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's um, so common. I would say almost all the clients that I see, and especially um, for families and for caregivers and parents who are bringing the clients in, um, emotional doubt is like very much present, especially early on, um, even though I see it kind of throughout. But I think the what I see most is their doubt that anything can be different, you know, mm -hmm. that anything can change, that usually people come to me once they've tried everything. It's rare that, you know, this is their first go-to. Um, when they're struggling, um, they don't first come to therapy. Usually they've tried everything else and it's kind of like their last resort. And so I think I see a lot of doubt for my clients, like I've, you know, been let down by so many people. I've been let down by so many systems. So how are you gonna be any different? Mm -hmm. How can you help me? Um, and I see that very often. How does your faith play in the role of your work field right now? Yeah, I think um, my faith is very critical in that. Um, I think that definitely something that helps is my like education and research and all those things. But there comes a point where um, I have to have faith. I have to have faith that um, we're meant for something better, mm -hmm. that there's goodness in the world. and. Um, that people are meant to, yeah, feel happy and to feel loved and um, to be in relationships with other people. And I think those are grounded in my faith. No, I think some of the things that you're talking about, how emotional doubt can definitely do harm or be harmful, but you're combating this emotional doubt with love, a lot of care, mm -hmm. um, your training, where God's calling you to, especially your own faith. That is some amazing news to hear. Um, how, how can we as a church pray for you, Jane? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, I think that right now I'm in a season of a lot of discernment and needing a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of support and thinking about different decisions. Um, so this will be kind of my last year in training, um, and I want to kind of start building roots and be grounded in a place and in a community. Um, and so I'm trying to figure out job-wise um, where that looks like, where if I should move, if I should stay, um, in relationships. So a lot of discernment um, right now. Hey, Church, we're going to pray for Jane. So if you can put your hand out. Um, can we give her a hand for our time of sharing, too, about just emotional doubt? Hey, let's pray. Hey, Father Lord, even though Jane is a Trailblazers fan, Father Lord, we welcome her in the Bay Area, Father Lord. She is a native of Portland, but Lord, she's a, just such a joy to be in our community with our young adults and our church and just the people that are able to meet and greet her. May you um, give her strength and wisdom um, just to be able to be teachable, um, to learn from you, to be faithful, 
to be wise in you, the ways that she loves and cares for uh, many families and students, even our coworkers. Day in, day out, uh, I can only imagine the conversations and the draining of just um, how crazy life can be for adolescents and trauma with, um, with just children and students. But Father, yet, yeah, Lord, you, uh, you refill her with just not just food and rest, but give her a, nourish, a spiritual nourishing, Lord, um, that goes beyond her uh, comprehension, Father, Lord, to be filled with you, um, to be to know that she has a purpose with you. And so, Lord, she's asking to be, have roots and plans of where you called to be. Uh, we, we, we hope that she, it's, it's going to be here in the Bay Area. But, Lord, but, uh, you take her wherever it needs to be. Uh, you're just an amazing God. Thank you for this time of sharing. Um, you're a good, Lord. And all God's people say, amen. Give you a hand again for Jane for sharing. <laughs> You know, Jane works in an area where um, maybe few of us um, pass by. Um, maybe few of us um, don't even know that the hardships of different cities and, and counties that are facing uh, things that she's working with. Um, but it's there. It's definitely, definitely there. Uh, third, the third thing, the third approach that we're talking about Jesus is this. Is that we're talking about, when it comes up, Jesus is the sovereign son. This is in Matthew 25, 27, as we were finishing up, and it says this. At that time, Jesus said, I, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed from them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. 27. And all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is a really special conversation that, um, that Jesus is having right now um, with God. And if I get this working for you, this is not working. And what's going on right now is that Jesus right now is using some heavy words. He says, Lord and Father. If we know that Jesus is the authoritative judge and Jesus is the chosen and the Messiah, the promised Messiah, here is Jesus, the sovereign son, speaking to God in a very gentle, humbling, loving way. And he addresses God directly. And is showing ownership that he acknowledged who God is by saying, Lord and Father. You see, Jesus uses these heavy words because Jesus tells us that he's revealing himself as the son of God. And he wants us to come with our human faith to believe in that. Not as a perfect faith, the things you need to do as a believer in Christ, but as a human faith to come before God and have faith. He wants us to come as a child. You know, verse 25 is the highlight of this verse, and it says this. It says, it says, I praise you, Father, Lord, heaven, and earth. The doubt that I want to talk about um, here is spiritual doubt. And spiritual doubt is something that 
Maybe this is going to work. Uh, spiritual doubt is, what's your belief? Is your belief something that your soul says um, about Jesus and who he is? So what is your spiritual doubt when it comes to Jesus as believing that this is the Messiah? That this is God's son? You know, one of the, one of the spiritual doubts from the spoken word is that I, I doubt I am, a, I am a good parent. Uh, and there's many parents here. And those doubts are real and they're raw. But sometimes when I think about, am I a good parent, I also question, am I a good child? If you're a middle school student here, from basic or high school student, or you're in college, do you ask yourself, are you actually a good child to your parents? Right? Because let's say your parents are amazing to you, and you're actually not a pretty good child, the things you say and do and respond. Right? Or let's say you have the opposite. You have really not so good parents. How do you respond to your parents, right? You know, when I think of, um, when I think of, uh, I think of um, uh, being a good parent, I think, of my, I think of my daughters. I think of Paris. I think of Addie. Um, there are times when me and Chan, we know that we're good parents, but our children are downright, they seem like they're evil, Okay. <laughs> Like, we, we, we do our best to be calm and to be demeanor and to love and care for them. And so when I see Chan go, like, from, like, really quiet and gentle to, like, I hear yell and go off the chain, I'm like, whoa. Like, Addie is doing something pretty crazy right now. So I'll go from the room, I'll go in there, and she's like, ah, I can't do this anymore. You deal with them. And she'll just, you know, she'll not leave, right? But she'll just look at me, and it's like, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm just done with them, right? And then I'm like, she's only two. Holy crap, <laughs> right? And so Karis is like, you know, we, we call Addie monkey number one, right? Because she gets pretty crazy, right? And then Karis is like, I want to be a monkey. And Ichan's like, you do not want to be a monkey, okay? She's like, oh, okay. Is monkey bad? I said, yes, monkey, being a monkey is bad. She says, well, can I, can I be monkey number two? Sometimes I said, fine, but don't be number one, Okay. But what is it for you? What is it for you about spiritual doubt that Jesus is the Son of God and that this is his Father? Do you doubt that sometimes? And I think sometimes as, as parents, right, we try to parent our children in the ways that we know as humans can be, right? But do we stop and pause and pray and be gentle and kind and be beyond understanding what our children are going through? See, because if we have doubts, right, about who we are, our relationship with Jesus and who he is, our children have the same doubts, the very same doubts that we have. And someone says this. A study says this, that when a loving couple that believe in Jesus, right, open the word together and pray every morning, that that child sees this faithfulness. This child sees this dedication. This child sees this. And you're not doing it in the light to show them, but it's because the parents know that this is their source of how to parent and how to love and how to be gentle, how to be kind. And it's going to be a reflection upon the children. Now, basic students here, you're in middle school, high school, even college students here. I did not know a time in any time frame in the world or now where you have every single thing possible for you to find out, is your faith real? And access on your watch, literally, the Bible for you to read, right? For even the Bible to be spoken to you. You can YouTube, 
Google anything you want for you to really realize, is this really true? Is what you believe really real? When I was in high school, if I wanted to know more factual information about the Bible, I would get my Bible, turn to the glossary, and look it up. If I couldn't find anything, I would go to my parents, or my, actually, not my parents, my friend's uh, encyclopedia wall, and look up C for Christ, and look up what Christ meant. That was a process. So students here, are you a good child to your parent? How do you respond when the decisions that, that they're making for you that you really like? And you have some choice words and your emotions and the way you want to say it. What is it? I don't know. I do know this. All of us here has parents that we possibly can say father to or mother to. And I do. My children, every single day, I respond by changing the way that I approach them. The moment I hear them say, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, I have a new opportunity to correct Maybe what I did or what I said wrong. Maybe some of you here used to have opportunity to correct some things you say and do as well. We're going to uh, our last portrait of Jesus. Our last portrait of Jesus is um, Jesus is the generous maker. And it says this in Matthew 28 um, through 30. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am a gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus here is not talking about the yoke as in an egg yolk, right? Jesus here is talking about a yoke that is uh, primarily on a donkey or an ox. And it is a wooden slat with two kind of leather, um, I would say, um, loose, noose. Uh, either you have one yoke or two yokes where it has two. And what Jesus was showing was that sometimes these yokes, right, they would have a really strong ox or, or, or a donkey um, that would do the work as grinding, uh, gr- uh, uh, either plowing the fields or grinding grinds, right, um, and so my daughter and I would watch this movie called The, the First, right, uh, which is a Sony movie about uh, these animals, that livestock, that were seeing the birth of the Messiah of Jesus, right? And so the donkey in there, um, Karis was going out. She was like, Daddy, did these, these animals really talk when Jesus was born? And they went through this amazing journey with Jesus and Mary and Joseph. I was like, kind of, you know. But I said, the story is there of that Jesus is the Messiah. And what Jesus was saying right here was, it looks that sometimes that you will have these two yokes that a bigger, stronger ox would be paired up with a smaller, younger, new ox. And what was happening was that the bigger ox would take the lead in the yoke to listen to the master of what to do. And hearing the voice of the master, the bigger ox would train the smaller ox, right, or the less experienced ox, right, of how to, to do the work. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, look, I am going to take the sin from you. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you. Because one day, you're going to do what I'm going to do. You're going to disciple others. You're going to be giving the gospel to the nations. You're going to love on people. You're going to be James to people that are in need of emotional doubt. 
You get a chance to know the Messiah. This verse here says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus here says this, is that, look, I am, I am going to forgive you of just, not even give you rest, but I'm going to give you freedom from sin, from all of your sins, for no reason other than this invitation that I'm asking you. I will bear all your sins for you. A term learn means that it's going to, you're going to figure out much later in the Gospels that the term learn is to make disciples for others and that this is a gift that you've been given and there is no return receipt with it. There is no expiration for it. But it's a gift for you because you're forgiven. When you learn to walk with God, Jesus knows the Father and he shows how are you going to walk with him. See, you can't do it on your own. This, this, this doubt and faith journey, if you're going to do it alone, there's going to be a lot of doubts. But here's Jesus saying, look, I'm going to give you me. I'm going to take all your burdens. Come along me. I will teach you. I'm going to take the full brunt of sin for you. I'll be that ox and teach you and rest. He tells us to rest in him. I don't know about you, but rest right now after Thanksgiving seems pretty, pretty nice be honest with you. You see, Jesus is ready to work. He's ready to take your doubts away from you. Are you ready? The last facet of of doubt is our moral doubt. See, moral doubt is uh, what is right and what is wrong. And what is it for you as a believer in Christ to do what is right and what is wrong? Are you having Jesus right now in your life right now? And you're walking with him daily so that he's revealing himself to you as his generous maker for you that's taking upon all your sins and you're going to find rest in him. So what is it today? Is it, is it doubt or is it faith? You see, look, life will come with you with just a ton of burdens they're real and they're heavy. But you have Jesus to make it less so you can rest in him. I'm going to finish this story of um, one of our former youth. She came to our ministry, this wild, boy-crazy person that just wanted just to hang out and meet guys. She's a middle school student. She was loud. She was crazy. She found Jesus in our ministry called 180. Um, I was glad she was still in middle school because we didn't have her in high school yet because she was, she was too crazy. But she eventually came into her high school ministry called Interlude. And when she came into Interlude, she found Jesus and it wrecked her world. She wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. Her mom, her brother, her dad, anybody that would listen to Jesus. And we fell in love with her because of her passion for Jesus. She told Jesus to her mom who had mental health. She had many episodes of what's going on, but her mom would overcome these doubts and these fears of who she was, his securities, and she knew Jesus. Her little brother was this really impressionable kid that wanted to skate and wanted to do video and filmmaking and all this crazy stuff, and he found Jesus. And she told him about Jesus. The one person that she had a hard time telling about Jesus was her father. 
Her father was the person that broke this family, that committed so many atrocious things to this family, and it had to come down to they were on the verge of divorce because the father was committing adultery. I remember Jennifer not giving up on her father, invited her father to come to a praise night, a high school praise night. So that we go to this praise night. I want you to know Jesus. I know what you're doing is just, it's crazy and it's wrong, but I want you to know Jesus. He comes to this praise night. I sit with him. We're singing a song. He tugs at me and says, on, I want Jesus. We're in the middle of an auditorium of a high school gym with a bunch of high schoolers. Here's me. I look like a high school student. Here's this guy in his 50s. Pulls on me. He knows I've been loving and caring for his daughter. I turn to each other. I'm like, he wants Jesus. She says, give him Jesus. We pray right there to give him Jesus. It wrecks his world. From there, he still has doubts. He still commits atrocious different sins. But God is still working on him. Jennifer goes on to her senior year. She forgoes college, goes into mission field for two years. No one did that in Fremont. What Asian parents or cultural parents would send their children in an affluent area in Fremont off to missions? I remember visiting Jennifer in Hong Kong on the Dulas. On this boat, I'm like, you're on a boat, you're doing missions, this is insane. She sees God's faithfulness working in her family to where she's at. She comes back home, she does two years of community college. She says, I'm going to work my butt off. I want to get any school I can. I said, sure, go where you want to be. She gets into Cal Berkeley. She finishes Cal Berkeley. She works in the Bay Area. She marries another former youth in our ministry, which I thought was wild, but that's a whole different story. He's, he graduated from, uh, he's a CPA um, um, worker. He loves her. She loves him. But what's cool is they both love Jesus. And you know what else? They love the gospel, the love, ministering, the love, and discipling. And they both forego their jobs because they want to be passionate about missions. So they're leaving and applying for international board missions to China. And they want to leave in the next two years. God's calling them from where they're at to be uncomfortable to be somewhere else that's going to be more uncomfortable. Her husband, Michael, is graduating from Southern Baptist right now. And they just recently had a daughter. And it is so cool to see that their entire life with Jennifer, all these doubts mounted up to where she could totally stop believing and having faith in Jesus. These doubts would trickle in and attack her intellectual doubt, her moral doubt, her spiritual doubt, and her emotional doubt. You see... It doesn't mean that our doubt's going to go away when we have Jesus. I'm still going to doubt. But there's this, that we will have Jesus in the midst of our doubt and faith. 
If I have Jesus, he's going to remind me to have more faith in him. And you can too. If Jennifer and her husband and her daughter right now are faithful to him through all the doubts that they have gone through, and I see it every single day I've seen in her life, how many more lives out there could be affected by doubt in your faith, and you choose faith or your doubt in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he will save you from your sins, from whatever you're going through right now, right here. Why not? Why not? Let's pray. As I call our praise team. Lord, you're an amazing God. May you allow this time, Father, as we go into reflection, that you give us, Father, the spirit to know that you are so good, that you offer and provide so many ways for us to come before you despite our doubts in you and your word. May you open doors for us, Father, Lord, to see the truth. May you allow us to return away from things that, Father, we are just so sinful in through doing. Maybe they're habitual. Maybe we need help. Maybe we need counsel. Maybe we need someone to disciple us. Or maybe, Father, Lord, we need to gather with our spouses on our knees and just pray for our children that are lost. Maybe, Father, Lord, we as students need to be more gentle the ways we respond and love and care. Not just to our parents, but to anyone. Lord, as we um, go in this time of just reflection, may you, Father, Lord, remind us, Lord, that our doubts are real, they're heavy, but you also remind us, Father, that we have you that could take away our doubts, take away our burdens. Because you are good. And you are true. And you are real. Amen.